Thanks for joining us once again. I'm Sammy Q Powers, and this is the PHP Roundtable. This is a live podcast of developers discussing topics that PHP nerds care about. And the ultimate goal of this podcast is to learn a little something from each other. If you're listening live, want to be a part of this little shindig, send a tweet to PHP Roundtable. I've got the notifications pulled up here watching it. And I kind of forgot that there's actually a live chat on YouTube. And every single episode, I, I forget about it. And then I go and look at it afterwards. And there's like people like chatting and they're asking questions and stuff. I actually have it pulled up this time. And I hope that it actually works. So if you're on YouTube and you want to chime in that way, I think I'm going to be able to pull you in that way. But we'll find out. But before we jump into our topic today, I want to let you know about something. If you didn't know already, the official PHP Roundtable Elephant is available for purchase on phproundtable.com. Woo! I checked this morning and there are exactly 133 left in stock for sale. And as I mentioned in a few episodes before, they are a bit more expensive compared to other elephants since I've been giving away a massive chunk of them to developers around the world via user groups and events. And after personally financing the elephants, my goal is to at least break even. But if you use the promo code AUDIO, you'll get a $5 discount per elephant when you buy them. And they also make great holiday gifts for your favorite PHP people. So make sure to go to phproundtable.com and get one before they're all gone. I think Sarah's got one in the background, actually. Oh, no, we're right in the foreground. Yay. Showing off that lovely roundtable elephant. She's literally been <laughs> dancing the entire intro in front of the Oh, camera. I didn't even notice. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All the audio-only version people are like, what? So you have to go watch, check out the video, of course, for that. Today, we are diving into some new stuff from PHP Internals, and there's tons to cover, so I'll make this short and sweet. Today, we'll be jumping into preloading a possible foreign function interface, typed properties, a password hashing registry, and more. Woo! Now that we know what we're talking about, let's meet our panel. And as always, in no particular order, we're going to kick this thing off with two guests who have expletives for their middle names. What? Nikita Expletive Pavlov. He has added an insane amount of features to PHP and recently graduated uni. Welcome, Nikita. Hey. And we also have Sarah Expletive Goldman, who is the release manager for PHP 7.1 and 7.2 and all around friend of the elephant. Welcome, Sarah. You're effing right. Or wait, <laughs> oh, wait hi. That, that's the middle that's the middle name right sorry my expletive is that my my audacity crashed and i was trying to recover as much as i could so. oh nice it's because you might USB have to do a little a terrible port format and you should never get a laptop with USB-C in it listen to this apple stop building laptops with USB-C. sorry that's all they offer <laughs> that's all they offer so i, I want to actually start this topic of discussion around type properties, which actually I believe Nikita, you and Bob Wynand were the um, the people kind of instrumenting that one uh, based on a previous RFC by, was it uh, Phil Sturgeon and, uh, and uh, Joe Watkins? That's right, yeah. So what, what uh, so type properties, it's all about adding um, type declarations to class properties, which we were never able to do until, I guess we'll have it in PHP 7.4. Um, and it looks like it's it was officially accepted uh, back in September, but we're still waiting to merge it into master. Um, are there just some things in the, to wrap up in the implementation to get it merged into master? Uh, yeah, there are still some implementation issues around the uh, reference handling, but they are a little bit like super technical. I think you will want to ask about that later. <laughs> <laughs> With the simple stuff. Okay, gotcha. Sounds good. So, like to kind of like start with what it is and kind of getting some of the um, some of the 
the ideas about behind the, the new feature. So if I were to basically add a declaration to a class property, say I have a property called age and I wanted to uh, make it an int, um, I could just do, I could just write int right there, um, right after the, the class visibility. So like public int and then age, right? And then um, well, once that's, it, um, once I declare that, what kind of makes it different than just not having the declaration? Well, the declaration, I think it does um, like two things for you. So first of all, it is a nice bit of documentation. I mean, nowadays we already have PHP doc and I think a lot of people already annotate all their properties with types. And this would just be native syntax, but of course um, it also enforces that this type is actually correct. So every time you assign to the property, it makes sure that you're assigning the correct type. And on the other side, every time you read for the, from the property, you are guaranteed that you have a correct type and nobody changed something in between while you were looking or something. And so you can actually, you, you once you declare, say that this property is going to be an int, you can't change it to a Boolean later on, right? Right, you can't. Well, I mean, you can change it to a Boolean. The only like usual issue is that we have the strict types mode. So if you have strict types enabled and you assign a Boolean to an integer, then that's going to throw an error. If you don't have it enabled, then the Boolean is going to be cast into an integer. So if you assign false, you're going to get a zero. But that's like the usual um, typing behavior in PHP as it is now. Gotcha. So like the normal type coercion stuff that we see when we like try to pass a false to a string or something will be the same exact type of coercion that we see with the type properties? Cool. Right. So I am not a big fan of it. And I would always recommend to put strict types at the top of your files. But <laughs> if you don't like it, that's what's that going to happen. <laughs> hey Sarah, is there any way that you could up your audio a little bit? Sorry, it's you're coming in like really silently. Is it is she coming in silently for you, Nikita? Okay, cool. Is this better? Oh, oh that's much better. Yeah, okay. It's, there we um, go. Max. <clears throat> <laughs> so what was it that you were saying about uh strict types? I, I was saying that um the important thing to take away here is that when you read the property, whether or not you have strict types enabled you will get the right property upon reading it. Just like with function signatures, whether or not the call side had strict types enabled, inside the function, you're going to receive the correct type. Hopefully, that's because it was strict typed and you got what was intended to be sent, but possibly it's coercive types and you get at least the right type that you expected as that's interpreted by what was sent. So cool. the use time um, type is, is what's important there, I think. For sure. So I, I when I was playing with this uh, new feature, I there was something that was kind of, um, I guess I kind of knew it was going to happen, but it was really unexpected when I just um, realized that I had some assumptions as a PHP developer that we have this sort of implicit null um, um, that happens when we have a, a property that we declare at the top, but don't explicitly set to anything. And so that behavior is something that I sort of, intuitively have in my head as something that is the way that PHP ticks, but I don't like kind of explicitly have it in my head of like, that's, that's the behavior I'm expecting until I played with type properties and I initialized a, a variable like age, for example, declared int on it. And then when I tried to read it before I actually explicitly said anything, it gave me some errors. So we, do we have like a new state of variables, like initialize but not set kind of thing? Yeah. So it's, it's not exactly a new state in the sense that, um, even nowadays, you always have the uh, possibility to unset a property. Even if you declare it in your class, you can still unset it. 
And if you then access it, you're going to get an undefined property um, error or rather a notice. But um, there definitely is a difference in that this is not the default state. So normally properties um, are just null by default, but type properties are going to be uninitialized by default. And the reason why we um, made this choice is that if we want to initialize them to null, then basically all the property types become implicitly nullable. So you don't have an integer property, you have an integer or null property. And like in some cases, that's what you actually want. And if you want that, you can still do it by declaring a nullable type. So, you know, question mark int or something. Um, but in many, many cases, you actually don't. And if you like implicitly add a null type to everything, then all the consumers of the property also have to check for null. So that's one of the, well, this is what the, uh, what's called the billion dollar mistake in Java that everything is nullable. And um, the people who designed that originally seem to regret it pretty much. And we hope to avoid that particular particular mistake. But type properties do support nullable, right? Uh, question mark yeah. Uh, type, yeah. They yeah, no, but they don't support all the keywords, right? So like void, uh, like we would have like a return type for void. It, it makes sense that, I mean, I don't know how why void would make sense in this context, but um, I did notice that callable uh, is not supported. And why is that? There's like some implementation details there. Um, yeah, so usually um, types are the same everywhere. So if you have an integer, it's always an integer. But if you have a callable, then it's callable from somewhere. So for example, if you have a private method, then that private method is going to be callable inside the class but not outside of it. So it could happen that you're storing a private method inside a property, and that's valid because at this point you can call it. And then outside the class, you read from this property. And at that point, it's no longer callable. So this kind of doesn't line up. And there are a couple of ways in which we could solve it. For example, um, if you have a public callable property, we only allow assign, uh, assigning publicly callable methods to it. But all of this is kind of you know different from how callable works in the rest of PHP. And so for now, at least, we've decided to just drop this question and um, forbid it entirely. And the workaround is basically you can type in it with closure, and then you can use closure from callable to initialize it. Because if you use closure from callable, that's always callable. So even if you do that with the private method, that private method becomes callable from everywhere. That's a cool workaround. I never. That's so funny. I, I for some reason I've never thought about type heading uh, closure on something that I wanted to be callable. That. Like I usually just use callable, but but sometimes it's just like I'm only ever expecting a closure specifically, and I never really thought about type in cl closure. That's well, smart. I, I think honestly, a lot of us would consider if we could get rid of the callable type entirely and get everyone to use closure instead. I think that would that would probably make everyone a lot happier because mm -hmm. right now callable can encompass so many different fundamental types. It, a string can be callable even if it's not something you actually want to wind up calling. Uh, and a two-element array can be callable if it's got the right things in it. Um, a, whereas a closure is a very specific thing. A closure is something that has the intended purpose of being called, and that is its purpose. Yeah, Speaking so I of think that, in the future we are probably we probably want to add some kind of first-class um, callable syntax, which basically I know you write your method name in there, and it's going to implicitly create a closure behind the scenes. So um, Malti Bladerman 
is I'm I'm really bad at pronouncing so I I apologize. Uh, chimed in on from YouTube chat. Good evening. Will iterable be supported? Yes, of course. So only two exceptions are void and callable, and everything else, including iterable, is going to be supported. So does that include resource as well? Um, no, because resource is not supported anywhere else either. So, so what is this resource thing? <laughs> why? Why? Why is, is it? Another thing we want to get rid of. It's terrible. <laughs> so we have been like very, very slowly moving existing resources over to objects, because generally objects are better in every single possible way, both from the user perspective and from the internal perspective. But it's going to take. I don't know, forever until we get rid of resources entirely, so. Well, internally speaking, an, or an, a PHP 5 and later object is a resource uh, in terms of what it's capable of, plus it's got everything else that you get from objects, like you know functions that sit on top of it and, and are attached to the thing. And it's actually a much better storage just in terms of the, the indirection from our resource type, which is, hi, I'm resource number five, go figure out what that means, versus, hi, I'm a resource, and here's the thing that I'm a resource for right next to me. Go grab it. Uh, yeah, they, they're just so much better in every way, as Nikita said. Have like the resource implementation is a bit second class. For example, if you have basically everything that's stored inside the resource is not um, visible to the garbage collector. So if you have cycles that involve resources, you're going to leak memory. And that's like one of the many reasons why we want to get rid of this concept entirely. Do you, ha do you have a rough estimate of when you think we'll be able to eventually deprecate and remove resources? I know that's probably the worst question to ask every, at, at, any, at any point, but... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say the biggest hurdle to us being able to do that are file IO streams. File IO streams are by far our biggest consumer of resources right now. Everything that you do with File.io is wrapped up in a stream. And so much of every PHP extension and third-party extensions are aware of this. And they're like, oh, you've given me a file stream. I'm going to deal with that using PHP's file APIs. So if we wanted to move that into an object, it would be a non-trivial amount of work to convert all those extensions, all of that user code that's doing things like if is resource and resource type is stream and Mm -hmm. that, that is a gigantic mountain of technical debt that nobody's really got the 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 time, time. and energy to deal with. <laughs> I feel like for the past four years, I've been at conferences where people get together and they're like, let's rewrite streams. And then it, it kind of gets this momentum and then it kind of dies off a little bit. I think there was actually recently a pretty big push that got, actually got quite a bit of, uh, I don't at least prototyping done. I don't know. I can't remember what event um, yeah, that was Yeah, Liz Smith and I have done a fair amount of prototyping on like, hey, if we were to greenfield this, what might we want this to look like? And we want this and this and this. And then we get into the, okay, how can we get from where we are to there? And it's just, ugh. <laughs> and we get back to that same problem of nobody has the time and energy to actually pull that off. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, bringing this back to type properties, uh, I'm curious how this works with overloaded properties when you're using the magic uh, underscore, underscore get and underscore, underscore set. Does type properties uh, make that more complicated or does it just play well kind of out of the box with it? Well, I mean, I think usually if you use get and set, then you want to use it with undefined properties, in which case the type properties like don't matter at all to you. You can also use it um, with type properties if you unset the property in which case it basically works 
mostly the same as before. The only difference is that the result of the under, underscore underscore get method still has to satisfy the type hint. But I think this is a pretty unusual thing to do. So I know this is a pattern that Doctrine uses for lazy initialization, but I think apart from this rather specific special case, um, I don't really expect people to do that commonly. So um, There is one other case that's a little less specialized and a little less rare, and that is when your typed property is non-publicly visible. That's true. That's true. Uh, um, but again, it's the same thing. You just have to make sure that your getters and setters satisfy those type requirements. Otherwise, the runtime is going to tell you, don't do that. And I'm sure you have a test case for that, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> all the <laughs> test cases. The test cases for that. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't really believe how many crazy edge cases um, there are for type properties. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. When I first started playing with it, you had just put up the implementation, and since then, there's just been like so many edge cases that have come through. And I'm like, wow, I would have never thought that that was even possible in PHP, and it's it's crazy. There's a lot of weird syntax that's a, that you can do in PHP that I keep discovering every day. I feel like there's a new thing that's like, wow, you can do that in PHP. So like, I, I can't imagine having to test for all these edge cases. That's insane. Uh, one more thing about type properties, uh, kind of in user land, when just thinking about inheritance, when you inherit uh, something that has something that's uh, a pro- that has a property that's that's been uh, strictly typed, are you able to? Is there anything that you can do to either widen the scope, but widen the scope with by deleting the the type declaration or changing the type declaration? So no, you 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 can't do that. You can neither like make the type hint more lax or make it more strict. And the reason why you can do it is that properties that you can both write to properties and read from them. So if you are writing to a property, then um, it's always fine to send something more specific in. Uh, wait a moment, I think I'm getting stuff mixed so up. So if you, if you allow your property types to get wider, then you'll violate the read time guarantee. And if you allow your property types to get more narrow, then you'll violate the write time guarantee. Exactly. Yeah. So if we would get read-only properties, then we... Um, could allow you to specify a more specific type in a child class. And if we get write-only properties, well, I don't know what the write-only property is, so I don't think it's worth what in this class. <laughs> Mutable only. That would be funny. <laughs> I never want to read it. Yeah. I guess in certain contexts, you could have mutable only. If a certain context only ever wanted to write, but I don't know, I suppose I don't know if that if would make using sense. I suppose it as a garbage collector bucket. Um, so mm. like, hey, just keep a reference around. I never want to read this, but keep a reference around. But that's a contrived use case. <laughs> so we're kind of dive, diving deep under the hood for this. What about people who write extensions? Wh- what impact does this RFC have on them? So the big impact is that um, really the largest part of the type properties ever see is how to deal with references. So you can get a reference to a type property, and then we have to make sure that even if you modify like the value of the property indirectly through the reference, that everything is still enforced correctly. And in order to do that, we actually have to insert a type check somewhere. The issue is that right now um, in the engine, you can basically anywhere you want just write into reference um, without checking anything. So extensions will actually have to do some bit of pretty extensive porting to switch to new macros, which um, do the additional type checks. I think it's um, relatively mechanical replacement. You just replace one macro with another one, but still it has to be done and you have to find all the places um, 
where references are written and changed. The good news is that even if you don't do it, then everything will still build correctly, um, only maybe not perform those type checks. And at the same time, there's also the bad side, so you don't get compiled errors if you don't uh, do this kind of porting. So you don't actually know if you are already ready or not. So an easy way is, for example, just um, look at your other function and check which accept references. And those are probably the only ones you will have to touch. But hey, maybe if we get preloading, we can get these extensions to write all of that kind of stuff in script code, and then we get it for free, right? That would That's be awesome. great. That sounds like Segway. a transition, 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 transition into preloading. Yes, not to be confused with autoloading, but it is one of the other RFCs that is not officially accepted yet, but it's in voting and has like something crazy like 40 votes that are yes and it's all unanimous. So I'm, I've, I would be really crazy surprised if 40 internals voters came out of nowhere and voted no and it didn't pass. But but I, I'm pretty sure it's pretty safe to say that preloading will definitely be a thing of PHP 7.4. Uh, it's just to kind of give the TLDR on on preloading, and I'm going to try to give a TLDR on how PHP processes your scripts with Nikita and Sarah looking at me, scrutinizing me the whole time. So the sweat is already starting to, to come down my forehead a little bit. But the preloading RFC was inspired by the class data sharing feature that is available in Java's Hotspot VM, which um, kind of aims to reduce the overhead associated with traditional opcode caches or caches like this. So this 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 is we have a couple of ways of 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 caching opcodes so that we can skip over some of the steps that happen when we're when we're parsing a PHP script. So here we go. Sarah and Nikita, listen up. Get ready to correct me if I'm wrong. But here's the TLDR version of how PHP scripts are consumed by the PHP engine. First, the Lexer re2c converts keywords into tokens. Then the parser bison validates the, and the semantics and constructs the abstract syntax tree, which is really hard to say, but we're going to say AST instead. The AST layer is sent to the compiler, and it takes the AST and generates an optimized list of opcodes, and the opcodes are dumped into an opline and executed by the VM slash executor, which does two passes, question mark, through the opline and runs the code. How did I do? That's, that's not bad. Um, your, your elephant was agreeing with you. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I ignored any sappy integrations or anything like that, which I, I feel are kind of important. But, um, but rough. What was the kind of the biggest? Any any big corrections there? I, I you know I wouldn't make corrections. I would just say that's more information that we need for what we're going to discuss right now. Okay. Um, good. I'm glad I was overly comprehensive then. Uh, <laughs> so, so where does so in that whole setup, where does the opcache sit? sits right after the compiler and right before the executor. So the compiler does everything you talked about, lexing, parsing, making opcodes, um, going through sort of initial pass optimization of those, and then it passes off to opcache plus, or if you have a different optimizer uh, cache, then it does those. But most, I think everyone uses opcache plus these days. Um, and then that has its own section of optimizers where it goes a little bit deeper than core PHP would go. And it does some some more like code elimination and branch optimization and things like that. And then it stores that stuff into shared memory so that each time your code is loaded up after that, when you include a file, it says, hey, I've already got all that deep optimization compilation done. Here's have a copy of it. And when and you said shared memory, is that the uh, imminent, like the module init phase of the PHP script or the PHP execution? What I just described there else? is happening at runtime. So that's happening right okay. at the start of your request. Um, and right. really, like that, that whole phase, like even the first time you compile, that's happening during a request. So a request comes in, you say include some file, 
it goes, it does through, it says, is it in the cache? If so, great, grab it. If not, go through the compile step, put it in the cache, and then let me use it. And that's all happening right at the beginning of a request. Cool. So we have opcache basically trimming uh, that whole, those, like the first couple stages of parsing, lexing, and, and compiling out of the picture. If we've already done that, every request, we can just pull it out of the opcache. But there's some overhead associated with this because of the way it's stored in opcache, right? Like it's each file is stored, stored separately. And so there's some overhead of kind of like combining all these things together. Is that, is that kind of the, the bottleneck there? Um, yeah, there's some, there's some final binding that needs to be done. Back in PHP five days, we actually had to copy all of those opcodes from shared memory into local process memory. And we had to copy all of our constants. We had to copy a whole bunch of stuff. We don't have to do quite as much of that anymore. We're able to do a bit more directly in the shared memory than we used to be able to. But there is still overhead in terms of, all right, here are the list of functions that are in this file. Let's actually bind each one of these functions into our local process space. And that loads up into this hash table, which is basically a P internal PHP array that says, all right, when you're calling the function Sammy underscore rules, there's the implementation for it. If you're invoking the class, Sammy underscore sucks, there's the implementation for that. Um, so all of that binding is what takes the extra time right now. And that's what preloading will get us away from, is that we'll do that binding. We will do the, all the compilation at process startup, that M minute stage you talked about. And we will do all of that binding also at that time, because we're gonna say every single request wants the function Sammy rules and every single request once the class Sammy sucks. So let's get those bound in right up at the start so that every time a new request comes in, we're not having to rebind them over and over again. This is all just pure caching. Once you know the answer to a question, don't ask the question again. So the main overhead right now is probably um, the handling of classes. So as Sarah mentioned, um, like the actual opcodes, for example, all of these are in shared memory and never copied. But for classes, for example, if you have a class that extends another class, it stores a pointer to the parent class, and that pointer is going to be different for each request. So in order to modify it, we have to copy from shared memory to process memory and then replace this pointer to the parent class or parent interface or whatever. So the way opcache does it, it has like one huge chunk of memory, um, which is the arena. It just copies this whole memory, and then it goes through it and fixes up all the pointers to point to the new copy of the memory. And that's already um, pretty efficient, but it still takes a lot of copying. And even once that is done, it still has to perform the actual inheritance at runtime. And inheritance involves stuff like checking um, the method compatibility, so making sure that all of the method signatures um, have type hints that are compatible with the parent class, and so on. And if you like have a big framework and you load 500 classes at runtime, then doing those method checks is going to take up a lot of time. And that's what we want to avoid. Yeah, and that's pretty typical these days, right? With the, the giant monolith frameworks, there is just an insane amount of classes that you have to load and, and a lot of bootstrapping that goes on with every request. So hopefully, if you have something that's really heavily bootstrapped like that, if you were able to say, like, cache all these bootstrapping results, the compiled results somewhere, you could just pull them out, at, you know, arbitrarily at any point in time during runtime. That's that's what preloading is all about, right? Pretty much, ish. Sorry, I was going to give Nikita. <laughs> um, I mean, so 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 yes, um, it, it's not even about pulling them out at runtime as they're needed. It's like they are pulled out already. It is it is as if you have this bit of script code that says require this file, require, 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 require. As if that was the, at the beginning of a request, 
that part of run has been skipped now. So you've done all of that copying in essentially before your uh, before your application runs. And like Nikita said, with monolithic frameworks, whether it's, I mean, I don't want to pick on anybody, but like Laravel or Symfony or Zend have got a ton of classes for doing all of these things. I mean, all of those class file loads are going to take some small amount of time and then you multiply it by a thousand files or whatever you're including for your for your framework. That's a lot. Times every request. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, so by the way, Joe Watkins timed in. Hey, hey Joe from, from internals. He said, uh, also watching pass two is part of the compile, not exec. That was what I, I remember there being a two, two pass thing and I couldn't remember where it was. And I, and that's where it was the compiler. Cause it, it's yeah. doing the optimization. So a double pass, I guess, helps the optimize, like optimize that at that point. Right. Well, like I said, there's, there's basically two optimizers at play. There's the one that's built into the core Zend engine. And that's sort of a baby optimizer that just does a few simple things. And then there's the optimizer built into Opcache, which is a, a beefier, heavier optimizer. Um, the the two pass that's built into to Zen. Um, I don't know how many phases are in the Opcache optimizer. So Opcache has a lot, but um, just specifically what this pass two is about uh, is about. It's not really optimization. It's just um, fixing up the opcodes, which are like first stored in a convenient way for a compilation into a form that's more efficient for execution. So for example, um, if you have if you use constants in your code, then these constants are going to be placed directly after your instructions and uh, it will store an offset to, to, to these constants. So the constant can be fetched simply by taking your current instruction pointer and adding an integer. But that's kind of super inconvenient while you're compiling, but it's very fast at runtime. So this is what this pass two does. It just converts between um, these two forms, basically. And jump targets as well for branching. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, it has to be done because you don't know how many instructions are going to come after your if statement. Joe's chime in. He's like, yeah, what Nikki said. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, so sorry. I, I kind of uh, gave us a little bit of a tangent there uh, when kind of looking at um, kind of op codes and stuff. I think it's... There's lots of different streets we could take with this, but I, I kind of want to um, see what's relevant for specifically preloading and kind of how preloading works. So it sounds like um, with preloading, you basically use already existing functions that exist when you have opcode, um, I'm sorry, opcache extension enabled. And uh, I'm losing where it is. Oh, yeah, opcache um, op compile file, which uh, you just point to a file and it'll, I guess, uh, get it down to the compiled um, op, compile the opcodes and then store it in the cache. Um, so you you basically you have an any a new any sitting with opcode with opcache called opcache preload, and you send you you basically set a file that goes through all of the things that you want to to preload, right? And then all that stuff is loaded there and available for you during imminent module init. Um, yeah. So so opcache compile file you can think of very much like just an include or require statement because that's the core of what it's doing. It is getting that thing compiled and it's getting it loaded in the cache. The where the place it differences, differs is that include or require will actually then go and bind it into your current request and actually execute any pseudomain instructions that you have in that file. For the sake of a preload, when all we're trying to do is get the runtime sort of ready for us, we don't care about executing any instructions at all. We don't care about being able to instantiate any things in these files. So we want to skip that binding phase and that execution phase. So we opcode, opcache compile file is the more efficient way to bring these things in. 
Um, and I think the proposal actually prohibits, well, I don't know if it prohibits us from doing it regular includes or requires. Um, I don't see why I would need to. Um, but certainly if, if we give it the hint to say that we are doing this for the sake of a preload, then it can probably do it more efficiently uh, with that function. I mean, in the end, it's not going to matter a lot, at least for the typical framework library situation where the only thing you have inside the file is the class declaration and you don't have any kind of other code in it. In that case, it doesn't really make a, a huge, huge difference. But if we can encourage people to do it the way we want them to do it, then we might as well encourage them to do it <laughs> by documenting it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so interesting kind of trade-offs that come along with preloading, uh, su pretty surprising ones that uh, I, they totally make sense, but until you kind of sit down and really think about it, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see. So um, one of those is that if you're on a shared host, preloading will probably be pretty useless to you, right? Because of the way it works? Yeah, probably not only for, for shared hosting, because it has some pretty strict requirements. In particular, you can't really change the preload state. So you can't run an opcache reset or just reload the FPM configuration. You actually have to perform a full server restart to um, load a new preload state, which is um, pretty hard to do in production without downtime. Um, so I'll agree with the notion that it's not very useful to shared hosting to a degree. Um, as Nikiti was kind of getting into, um, coordinating a bunch of different projects that don't talk to each other in terms of, hey, I need this loaded, I need that loaded, is um, a, a big problem all by itself. And then dealing with the, the problem of um, needing different versions or needing reloads at different times is, is impractical. So I think for the majority of those installs, yeah, we're probably not going to see that being very useful. But I think for specialized shared hosting environments, something where the hoster is saying, hey, this is an environment that's optimized for WordPress to pick on somebody else this time. Um, we've got for WordPress 4.9 already installed. It's out there. We've even like hard linked in everything so that you're ready to go. Um, just run your WordPress environment here. I think it will actually benefit them to some degree because then they can say, preload this base WordPress install that our users don't have the ability to upgrade anyway. And everybody's work running off the same version of WordPress 4.9.3 or whatever it happens to be. Um, I think they can potentially see some benefit out of that. But they're definitely not the people who we're targeting for benefit here. We're targeting people who control their whole server and control their whole deployment, or at least control their virtual private server slash container, um, their own instance of PHP. Yeah, that sounds. It sounds a lot like there's some other optimization that you can do when you compile a PHP binary. You put it in a certain state, and I'm trying to remember what it's called. But like you run, you you make you make the 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 binary or whatever you, and then you use some sort of um, like Apache bench or something. You hit it, you hit the request like a thousand times um, with your code that you're going to use, and then recompile it again. And it's and it and it does some little optimization tricks at the compiler side. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking. Oh wow, it's it's it. It was in my head three seconds ago. I was about to say <laughs> it over you, and I I wanted to wait. It's uh, profile guided optimizations is what you're thinking. Ah, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. On HHVM, we found we could get up to a ten percent boost on Facebook's code base using profile guided optimization. Um, nice. This is not necessarily something that's going to be ten percent across the board. It might be slightly less or slightly more for different people. But the idea is, at the machine code instruction level, we say 
hey, this code is calling this function, which calls this function, which calls this function in these orders. And we have these kinds of um, hot code paths and cold code paths. So what we're going to do is we're going to organize where these instructions fit within the program space so that things that are called together are in the same layer two cache at the same time. And we don't have to go to disk or we don't have to go to memory to get them out and get them closer to the processor. So uh, that is a way that applications can be sped up and improved, but it's basically orthogonal to this entire um, question of preloading, partly because preloading is not um, native code compilation. Preloading is just, hey, we've started the process. Now let's compile these things in opcodes and let's store them into our, 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 our opcode arrays and our, our, our function tables over here. Potentially, we could at a later time look at, hey, now that the server has been running for a while, what is our analysis of what functions are getting called with what frequency and in what order? And we could potentially use that as an input to later um, invocations of the runtime. But I think we're probably a long ways off of that being the main thing that we look at in terms of improving performance. I think there's lower hanging fruit than that. Yeah, so uh, one of these lower hanging fruit um, in conjunction with preloading is that if you preload your classes and you have like your whole class tree, including parents and so on, then you can also optimize on that. So right now, um, each file is completely separate and we and the optimizer only sees one file. But with preloading, it's not implemented yet, but it could be, um, we could see the whole class URC. For example, that would allow us to inline a method that's been defined in a different class. If we can determine what you're calling, um, we can inline the body of the method. And if it's small, then that's probably going to um, be pretty profitable because we set the method call. And right now, all of these optimizations are like super ineffective because they can only work in a single file. And hopefully, preloading is going to change that. I think Sarah um, also knows that in HHVM, the repo um, authoritative mode also makes use of these kinds of optimizations. And I think that's nowadays the main benefit you get from running on HHVM. Yeah, and, and just to tie it back into typed properties, um, if right now, before you have typed properties, you have all these getter setter functions that are doing these things, imagine if we could inline all of those single line getter setter functions, they could do that job of, oh, set this property, pull this property out. And they can enforce those types without having to have type properties, for example. Not that I'm voting against type properties. I think it's a great thing. But um, it is another way of reaching that same level of optimization without actually having to change our code base. And I'm not going to argue with anything you said about HHVM because that's absolutely correct. It's it, repo authoritative mode is what they call it. And it's where we do that whole program analysis. So we can see not only do we have this function that exists in a vacuum, but we have all these callers to this function. And here's how they interact which is much more useful for optimization. Do you think preloading will give us C-style macros in PHP? Kind of similar to what Nikita was is talking about with inlining uh, some functions there. I, I think it's totally unrelated. Yeah, it's unrelated. <laughs> I, I, like what, I like that you're trying to bring that together, but it's just not. Do you, um, think, do you think preloading will, will give us a rocket ship that we can climb into and go to Mars with? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And it'll, it'll cure cancer and it'll uh, um, make you know, Brussels sprouts taste good. <laughs> so uh, one thing I didn't, um, I've seen a couple of times in internals land is this, I, this concept of immutable classes and functions. 
Yeah, what, so that's, that's that's a new feature. That's um, basically the technical side of preloading. So um, I mentioned earlier that we have this problem that um, you have your class or function, and we have to update some kind of pointer that's stored in there. For example, all functions have a runtime cache um, in which we like I don't know store resolved um, function names and resolved type hints and so on. So we don't have to um, like look up classes or functions all the time. But this function cache is, of course, always different for each execution. So it's not something that can live in shared memory. And now we have the problem that we have a function that lives in shared memory because we don't want to copy it. Um, but it also needs to have this function cache, which is different for each request. And that's um, where the the main thing the preloading implementation really did is to introduce an extra layer of indirection there, uh, which is that the instead of having a direct pointer to the um, cache, we have like one intermediate step. And this middle point can be remapped for each request so that here um, on the function side, it always stays the same. And we remap the intermediate point um, for each request. And that's how we kind of combine the stuff that's in shared memory and the stuff that's specific for each request. So the immutable and the immutable stuff. I don't know if that worked here or not. So, so, yeah, so is that, um, does that tie into, if you have like a static property or, or static method or something, or there, there, was some, there was some sort of implementation detail from the original type properties RFC that um, I think that there were some problems with not being able to support static methods or something like that, or static properties. Am I remembering that? Am I remembering uh, that correctly? Yeah. So the so the original type properties RFC didn't have um, static properties, but that's really a different reason. It's simply that um, once again, um, static properties are really a, a second class citizen in PHP. So um, normal properties like have super great support. They have a lot of different handlers uh, which allow you to overload the behavior. And static properties are basically completely hard-coded in the virtual machine. So in order to support the type hints, we first um, had to introduce, like, I don't know, um, 10 new virtual machine handlers in order to be able to customize this behavior. But that's a really an unrelated problem. Gotcha, gotcha. Like bringing, I mean, you also know that, um, for example, these magic getter setters, they also only work for normal properties, not for static properties. And that's also the reason, simply because the implementation work hasn't been done yet. Now it is. I'm actually hoping that after your VM handlers get in, that maybe we can take another look at get static, set static, things like that. I think at that point, it should theoretically be pretty simple to implement that. Knock on wood. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I'm just curious that since we have sort of this uh, immutable class sort of concept behind the scenes, would that make it easier to make eventually read-only classes or read-only properties or anything? Is or or is this just completely separate and and handled differently behind the scenes? It's really really separate. So okay. the yeah. class stuff doesn't have anything to do with user code. It's purely an um, internal thing about shared memory. Um, immutable classes, what you would call immutable classes at the code at the PHP code level, is a unrelated feature and would require very different implementation. Yeah, and in the sense that we're talking about immutable classes right now, your classes already are immutable. You write them once, you can't like just throw new methods into them. You know, you're not allowed to do that. Um, 
So yeah, the idea of read-only classes or const classes, I guess, might be a better way of describing them. Um, is, is, as Nikita said, a completely unrelated feature. So we can't piggyback on all that stuff and just throw in a keyword and suddenly we get all these crazy things. No. Uh, so it's going to be work then. We have to work to get those things in there. Huh? Oh, well. <laughs> Wait for you to write the implementation, Sammy. Yes. Well, I, I, there's my next, I, I've been adding these little small things here and there and I'm like kind of slowly building my way up and I eventually want to get to that full fledged feature, but uh, it's, it's still a work in progress, but Whatever I, happened to retries? Uh, I, I've been putting those on a back burner because okay. I've got a couple of other steps I need to take before I get to retry. Oh. Uh, and then, yeah. And then, but it, I'll come back to it. It'll, it might be one more or two or three more years, but we'll see. <laughs> and you'll tell the story of us sitting in a Starbucks in downtown Chicago, working out retries back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Four years later, I post it and Nikita Pavlov <laughs> says votes no. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, oh, so I do want to uh, touch on, I, I, we, ah, we're running out of time. Okay, shoot. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Preloading. Let's uh, wrap up preloading. Uh, there's a really cool, interesting thing that was posted here uh, in the RFC that was saying that we might be able to rewrite php standard lib in php just like hhvm has their standard lib because of preloading what? yeah i mean that, that's a pretty simple extension of it at that point you you store a copy of the script code in the binary and you say opcache compile string boom and then and then that's it um whether or not that's what we want to do is a separate question because that will increase the load time uh, particularly for cli where, where mm. we care about that it means we have to compile all these things before we can actually use them. So it's not a foregone conclusion we would, but in terms of implementation details, it's not a difficult thing to do. And that the upside of that is that we would have more people able to maintain bits of the PHP runtime. Um, the bugs would be much harder to actually introduce because you're not going to introduce a memory overflow in script code. So we don't have to worry about our implementations uh, being, you know, Byte perfect in C because they're no longer in C. But and maybe it could actually be faster in some cases because um, some operations like invoking a callback are notoriously expensive to do in C mm -hmm. because we are basically going from the virtual machine to C code back to the virtual machine, and this kind of reentrancy is expensive. So Plus. if you implement something like array map. In PHP, I'm not sure if it would be faster, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. In HHVM, it was. Um, and specifically, in HHVM, we wrote it in what we called hip-hop assembly, which is basically bytecode form. So we stored the bytecodes for it, and we had bytecodes that could specifically only be generated by being written in HHS. They actually couldn't be generated from script code. So we had a super optimization on array map and those kind of functions. Um, but also, on a more trivial level, um, inlining can happen with when you've got your internal code written in script, because then the optimizer can see that stuff and it can pull that in. And um, the function call overhead is actually one of our worst hits right now. It it takes um, more time than it should to do a function call to an internal function, and we can improve that. And if we can inline those things, we can improve it even more. True, true. I'm I th I really think that this uh, rewriting the standard lib in PHP would be huge, a huge project to undertake, and a huge. There's so many different paths that, that could could go down, and there's so many ways that I think people could get involved and become internals contributors on this one thing. And I'm really excited about the prospect of put, of this being a, like a real thing in PHP later on. Um, but we'll keep our our ears. Um, on the wait, 
our eyes peered. Our eye. Wait, what's the expression? Our eyes peeled. What is? What's keep with the ears? Keep our eyes peeled. Keep our our ear to the ground. Keep ear to the ground. The there we go. Um, <laughs> body parts all over the place. Um, People, the one thing I was going to add is that a lot of this work's already been done in HHVM, so we might be able to steal a whole lot back. Hey, we're PHP developers. We copy paste. We're really good at it. So I'm just going to go to HHVM's repo right now and just copy paste all hey, the things. Hey, HHVM stole a lot from us. We can steal stuff right back. It's called. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Speaking a lot of, it still of has our license on it. Yeah. Yeah. There's giant uh, copyright uh, text at the top that takes up like the first thousand lines of every file. That's a, that's a big yeah. copyright text. Yeah. Um, one thing to oh. kind of give us a transition into um, the next thing, which will be a quick one, I think, um, it, is that this can be used in conjunction with um, an extension called FFI or Foreign Function Interface, which is supposedly at a dangerous extension at the moment. Um, but we this is is the, how how is preloading going to get us a little closer to adding a foreign function interface to php i think it doesn't really get us closer but having a foreign function interface is important if we want to implement the standard library in php because um i mean there are basically two reasons why we have internal functions and one of them is um performance reasons and the other is because we want to interact with native libraries like OpenSSL. And if you want to implement stuff in PHP, then we need to be able to access those libraries somehow. And that's for the foreign function interface. Um, I think it's not really directly related to preloading. It's more that once we have this um, concept of standard library written in PHP, then we need to have this FFI interface in some way to make it work. Aha, uh -huh. gotcha. I'm going to take the hardball uh, argument sort of, sort of position and say um, that I disagree entirely. Um, but <laughs> what I'm going to say specifically is that um, all of these places that we're interfacing to POSIX libraries and, and, and things that can't be done in pure script code, we have those interfaces already. And we don't have to get rid of the idea of internal functions where they make sense. So if we're wrapping... Um, gosh, uh, DNS get record or something like that. That wraps internal libresolve functions. It should still wrap libresolve functions. And, and we don't need to uh, try to rewrite the entire thing and have these, these unsafe, and I'm using that word in the sense that Go or Rust uses unsafe, but really they're really unsafe um, concepts of, of wrapping external functions um, when we've already gotten that code already written and it's already there and it already works mostly fine. Um, I also think that we could take different approaches to how we end up doing it. Um, I'm going to be a proponent of what HHVM does because I built what HHVM does and that's HNI, a hip hop native interface. Um, we can make a PHP version of it called PNI, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think there are different ways to solve this problem. And I think we need to have long conversations about um, what is going to be best for PHP in the long run, whether that be FFI or PNI or what we have now or some fourth thing? I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I mean, there are lots of stuff. You can, lots of parts of extensions that you can move into PHP and just keep calling into the internal functions for the rest. Um, and uh, I also agree that for the existing extensions, it probably doesn't make sense to migrate, but having the FFI interface would make it much quicker to add support for new libraries to PHP because you don't have to go through the extension scaffolding. But, I, I, won't agree, I won't disagree with that. And we can have these lo much longer conversations yeah, over email <laughs> on internals. Um, I, I will say that 
I'll just plug my current employer, Mongo. Um, their driver actually exists in two complete separate pieces right now. One is the extension, which does that sort of final wrapping of the internal API. And one is this PHP library, which handles all of the sort of um, the bulk of the operations. Um, it, it's going to be great when we can just put those together with preloading. And if we can even simplify those extension wrapping pieces through FFI or something else, I think that will make for overall a better extension there. And if it can be a better extension for that one, it can probably be a better extension for a lot of different interfaces, be they database related or not. Or even password hashing related. Say I wanted to pull in a different password hash and I wanted to use FFI to do that. Maybe I could do that. Segway. Segway, segway, transition, transition. <laughs> Into password hashing registry, which is an RFC actually by Sarah Goldman, who's with us right here. Uh, so so we've, we had bcrypt password hashing algorithm in PHP since for forever. Um, we recently, recently-ish in terms of, well, PHP land, it's like future-ish, but uh, Argon2i and Argon2ID Argon uh, came in PHP 7.2 and PHP 7.3. So um, we're starting to see a, a potential issue, I guess, Sarah, right? That uh, we're starting to, we might have a potential to see a lot of different password hashing alg algorithms start coming down the pipe as, uh, as computers get much harder to... Uh, keep those hashes secure and they get right. faster at cracking them. <laughs> so I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Cause like you said, we are getting um, late long on our, our time here, but yes, we are. Um, this one is not something that's going to uh, impact external users very heavily, at least not in ways that they're going to notice. But the big problem that I see in, in our password hashing functions right now, password hash, password verify, password needs to rehash is that the algorithms that PHP knows about, must be built into the core of PHP. They're part of the, the X standard extension. And there's no way to say, hey, I'm the Libsodium extension. I would like to give you these other algorithms that I know how to handle and I know how to create password hashes for. So this RFC is just about saying, hey, instead of having these be hard-coded, let's just create a little registry. This registry is going to be basically an internal array. And it's going to say, for the bcrypt algorithm, here's the set of methods that go with it. Oh. Libsodium, you'd like to say something. Okay, you'd like to give me the Sodium 5X algorithm or whatever you want to call it. Sounds secure. Here's its name. Here's all of its callback functions. And that can be loaded in at, um, at, at runtime. And so when distributions push out versions of PHP, they don't have to say, ah, well, gosh, we want, to argue, we want to offer the Argon2i and Argon2ID um, password hashing algorithms but you don't want to have to make libargon be a dependency of just the core of PHP. So, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to make it a dependency. Now what they'll be able to do is deliver a core PHP that does that has minimal external library dependencies. And then when you load in PHP 7-sodium um, or whatever, that will register these new algorithms in and you'll still be able to use them because you've explicitly said you want to use them. That's that's, so it's about that's genius. It more flexible. That's super genius. Yeah, I, I mean, getting just getting even getting uh, Argon uh, compiled in with PHP is is quite. I mean, it's it's not like super hard, but it's not super trivial either. So it, it'd be nice to have like these sort of like I guess it would from, from the user in perspective, it would feel like automatic bindings, right? Like of mapping hashing algorithms into PHP, kind of. Well, so there's there's two sides to that coin. On the one hand, it means that if your distribution didn't give Argon2i to you in the core PHP, you'll probably be able to get it when you load up Sodium. 
So yay. On the downside, it means that your application can't just say, hey, I'm PHP 7.4, so obviously I have this set of algorithms. It's going to have to actually go, have to go and ask the password extension, hey, what algorithms are you aware of? And do you have the one that I need? If you don't have the one that I need, I need to be prepared to deal with that fact. And that might be by saying, hey, you need to install this extension, or potentially, depending on what we do later on, load up this polyfill library that is going to handle the thing for me. Uh, we haven't actually determined that we're going to allow polyfills yet, but I think we'll probably end up doing that, um, possibly even within 7.4, if I get around to making that RFC separately. How would the polyfills, would the polyfills have to be implemented in PH, in like in user land? Like, well, even, right like, now they would have to be implemented in, in extension code. Um, right. I would like as a follow-up RFC to allow them to be implemented in PHP code as well. Um, but that has various security related co um, concerns attached to it. So I didn't want to overload the question too heavily uh, right up front. Good call. In cryptography, it's easy to mess things up. So we got to be extra careful. And speaking of cryptography and being extra careful, there's one function that happens to fail open right now that should be failing closed. And that's my RFC that I've got out there to uh, improve the segue. implementation. Segway, 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 transition, transition to the OpenSL random pseudobytes uh, function uh, that fails open. So if it, if, if it breaks, it'll just return false. And then it requires the user to check to make sure that it actually was successful or not. In PHP 7.4, it looks like that's not going to be the case. It's going to actually throw an exception, just like random bytes. Um, that's not really what I wanted to talk about. I actually want to kind of see if we can do like a really quick um, thing before my last question that I asked you. But uh, one thing that I wanted to kind of ping off uh, for both of you um, is for how do we deal with uh, the API that exists in PHP when it is confusing but we don't want to break changes. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to break break backwards compatibility. And this kind of came up with this particular RSA. I had a separate vote in there uh, for not only failing close, but also to wrap up uh, the or to clean up the API rather, because it has a second parameter that actually doesn't do anything. But it's called crypto strong, and it will. It's supposed to return false if the bytes that you were that you're receiving aren't crypto strong. So there's a um, there's a vote in there to deprecate that and, and eventually remove it. But that's, that's also the correct usage of the function, according to the documentation, is that you should be checking this parameter. So all these people who are doing it the right way are now going to get deprecation messages. Well, I don't think they will. I don't think that vote's actually going to pass. But anyway, but, but what are your thoughts on just kind of cleaning up these APIs um, long term? Uh, and like, when, when is it appropriate to deprecate things? When is it not appropriate to deprecate things? I just want to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Well, first, I want to address one thing you left out of that explanation, and that is that second parameter, unless... The, that, that OpenSSL random bytes function completely failed will come back true. Like it only has one valid value out of there right now. So either OpenSSL random bytes will give you an empty string, in which case it failed, and this is the, what the first question is dealing with, or that's the, it'll give you a bunch of random bytes and that second parameter will come back true. So I, I wanna underline that in terms of how we're talking about this deprecation. So on the one hand, getting rid of that second parameter um, should sound fine because it's not offering anything useful, right? It's offering no real information, just a different way of looking at how the function failed. But at the same time, it's not harming anything either, is it? It's, you know, the tiny bit of overhead of setting this reference parameter, whoop-de-doo. Um, that doesn't actually um, help the user to get rid of it um, because we're not actually fixing, fixing any functionality for the user. We're not actually getting rid of any, any brokenness. We're creating BC for the sake of being right or being correct or being pure or getting rid of technical debt is the argument that I see on that side. 
you might notice I voted in favor of getting rid of that second parameter because it's stupid. Because the other half of that discussion is, well, then when do we get rid of technical debt? Because that's what this is. This is technical debt. This is a mistake that we made at some point along the line or something that maybe wasn't a mistake at the time, but became irrelevant at some point and is now a mistake. When should we get rid of that? And I think the release right before a major, and we think that 7.4 will be right before the major release of 8.0, I think that's the perfect time to deprecate that. That is when we traditionally deprecate things. So I am 100% in favor of putting a deprecation warning here because that's all we're talking about. It's not going to break the code. It's going to get one extra line in your log output. So I think we get we can put ourselves in a position where library authors or custom code authors can just say, hey, if PHP version no is greater than or equal to 740400, then call it with single argument. If not, call it with a dummy second argument because we realize it's useless and move on. That's my hot take. <laughs> you probably don't even need the dummy second argument. Um, isn't it optional? You know yeah, what, I think totally it might optional. actually be optional. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, really, it's not even a question. Just stop calling it with two arguments. <laughs> it's useless. Let's put that in the, let's I mean, put that I, in the manual I, right now. This second it. argument is useless and stupid. Don't call it. <laughs> so my, my concern with that would be that if it's useless and stupid right now, but it did not used to be useless and stupid. And I don't know, like, the PHP version where this changed... Um, by heart. PHP 5.6.12, I think. 5.6.12. Okay, that's very specific. That is so specific. Are you that up, Sammy? No, I, 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 it's in my talk, so I, I have it in my head. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so then if you are supporting code, and if you are still supporting PHP 5.6, I don't know, maybe we just want to punish these people, but if we don't want to punish them, then um, I don't really see the benefit in making this pro duplication warning because it doesn't hurt if we if you check it because on newer versions it's always true and on older versions it would be a mistake not to check it so but i know um i mean for every php release i submit an rfc that contains something like 10 different duplications so i am a little bit um <laughs> you're the king of duplications so don't try to hide from that yeah. absolutely you know you know I, I i don't know if you know this but i i call your deprecations for every minor version the nikita kill list this is this is the every t every time it seems like you got this big giant list of deprecations they're, they're great deprecations though i mean like they're really it's like you find some really great stuff to deprecate so we can finally remove and and a lot of those things are actually holding back other features right so it's like really good reason to to kind of remove those things right yeah, usually I notice them while working on something, and then it turns out that, okay, um, if we do this, then this functionality breaks, and then I think, like, what? Who even uses this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go duplicate it. Yeah, totally. Well, I just wanted to hear y'all's thoughts on that because uh, this definitely, it's a hard problem and I don't think there's really a 100% right answer on that. And I, I totally see where Sarah's coming from. I totally see where Nikita's coming from. And I, I think it's just, we just, we, that's why there's a vote and we've, wherever most of us are thinking it's going to go, it's going to go, I guess. But, um, but one last thing to wrap this up officially. Uh, sorry, it's already 10 minutes over. So um, hopefully this last panel will take like three minutes. Uh, I'm curious to hear how you all became experts in PHP. When you started this project, you had nothing, you had zero knowledge about PHP internals. When, how did you go from zero to where you are today? I'll let Nikita go first there. Um, so I think I personally started by contributing to documentation, not by PHP core. And 
like while doing that, double checking in the source code um, how it actually works, and you know tracking down some questions. But in the end, um, PHP internals is really not documented at all. So usually the only I mean it doesn't have any like separate documentation and inside the source code um we don't make a habit of don't make a habit of um like commenting for each function and what it does or something um you may find sometimes inline comments but if you do find a comment it's usually something really trivial like increment i um so there is really not much you can do but read the code apart of course from reading the couple of resources that we do have, which is Sarah's book, unfortunately slightly dated, and the PHP internals book, which is um, not so dated, but also not so great or comprehensive, which I say, even though I'm one of the authors, um, it's simply totally incomplete. And so part of it is documented there, but um, large parts aren't. And unfortunately, that's the somewhat sorry state of PHP internals documentation. Yeah, it's funny to hear, hear you talk about um, the lack of documentation inside the source code, because for the longest time, I always pointed people at um, who would ask, you know, like, where are these things documented? I'd say, oh, it's great. There's a whole file full of documentation on the APIs in that file. And that's the Zend object handlers.h file is beautifully documented. And if the entire source tree were documented like that file is documented, we yes, have so much less issue. That's the only only file in the whole project. <laughs> but if you look at that file as the example, you're like, oh, the documentation here is great. Let's look at zendapi.h. Oh. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. So I guess if I'm talking about my background, um, I was working for University of Berkeley, University of California at Berkeley back in 2000 and something. Um, and I was bored and um, I was using PHP in my daily day work. So I, I was writing our little sites in PHP and they service the, you know, 10 or 20,000 users uh, across the campus, something like that. So I didn't get a lot of hits, but I ran my little sites and they ran fine. They ran on PHP, um, but I was bored because everything just worked because that's what PHP does. It just works. So I spent a lot of time in IRC, which kids, IRC is what we used to call Twitter back in the day. And I would help people out with their questions. I guess a little more like Stack Overflow. I would, uh, people would come in and say, hey, I, how can I get PHP to do this or that? So I'd help them out with that. And I remember one question came in. They wanted to get the logarithm base two of some number. But they're like, all I have is this natural logarithm and this log 10. Like, I don't have a log two. How do I get that function? So I'm like, okay, let's go back to trigonometry or algebra, whichever one this is. Um, logarithm in any base of a number over logarithm in the same base of whatever base you want it to be in will get you logarithm of that number in that base. So just do log of X over log of two, you're ready to go. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, well, why can't PHP just do this for us? Um, so I did something that I would not do today because today I would say, if you can do it in script code, you should, and you shouldn't move it into PHP's core. I, put, I looked into PHP's core code base and I said, how are these functions put together? How are they wired in? And I didn't find any documentation. Uh, this was PHP 4 days, so we didn't have Zend object handlers that H. I didn't even have that file. And I, I, but I had enough information to be able to find the log function because log is only called in so many spots, right? So you just grep for that. Oh, here's this self-contained little function. This appears to be getting arguments from some stack somewhere. And this appears to be pushing a return value somewhere. So 
put together a, a patch, mail it into the PHP dev at list.php.netlist because we weren't internals yet, um, and get told that my patch sucked. But here's how you can rewrite it to be better. Um, uh, sent it in again, and it was just, all right, okay, committed. It's in CVS now, great. Um, and a within a couple of patches, they're like, here, go apply for an account because we're tired of applying your patches for you. Um, and it was basically that um, welcoming atmosphere of the PHP internals group. And I, I say they said it sucked. They, they did not say it sucked. They just said, here's some improvements. <laughs> um, it was that welcoming atmosphere of just being like, oh, yeah, okay, your contributions are valued and, and let's do them. That made me say, okay, this is an open source project worth spending my time on. Um, and I already like PHP. So let's just get into it. And they have gotten deeper and deeper into it started looking things outside the standard extension, started looking at how the engine, um, the core engine is put together. And I'm like, oh, this must be how you write a compiler. It's not how you write a compiler. It's getting better, but it's not. Um, <laughs> but uh, everything I know about writing compilers um, has been in some way connected to PHP, um, including uh, lessons about how not to write compilers. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been iterative. One, one thing leads to another thing. I barely knew C when I started. Um, I knew enough about it to know what questions to ask. It's, it's, and it's been my gateway drug. And now I will swear by C++ 17 for the next three years until we get C++ 20. <laughs> well, actually, well, I, th I saw that C, uh, that uh, PHP was maybe going to go to C99 officially, right? We're, we're halfway there. Um, we've had some C99 features for a while. Basically, the big thing that keeps us from going to C99, and for those listening, these numbers ref reference the years in which the standards bodies have um, ratified these particular standards. So C is, uh, PHP is primarily C89, meaning it's based on a standard that was ratified before a lot of its users were born, <laughs> including Mikita, I'm pretty sure. That's true. And um, C99 is basically a 10-year-later standard. It's still already 19 years old at this point. Um, but these newer standards mean new features. It's just like PHP 5 versus PHP 6 versus PHP 7 or whatever. Sorry, PHP 6 is a real thing. It is. We um, have an episode about it. So where PHP is right now is it's about C C89 and a half. And what mostly stops us from going to full C99 support is the Microsoft compiler. Microsoft compiler is mostly focused on C++. So like, yeah, we've got all these C++11 features, and then we've got these C++14 features, and we're basically um, standards compliant with C++17 at this point. So we're great, right? Well, they don't pay as much attention to the C side of things. So they have much of C99 implemented, but not all of it. So we can't even guarantee that if we go with C99 features that we'll be able to build on Windows. And that is problematic. Um, we're, we're pretty confident, confident about the features we are willing to use at this point. Um, so it's okay. But uh, I, I would say Windows is a big part of what's holding us back. There are also a few other sort of edge case operating systems that we officially support, um, even if we're not aware of anyone actually using them. Like, I, I think we have, we, I think BSD is on our official list of supported operating systems, NetBSD, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, um, and some, 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 some more edge case ones. So our concern is backwards compatibility and making sure we can run everywhere. And that, what, that is what holds us back more than anything. And it's why we use very little C++ anyway. Different uh, interpretation on that okay. one. 
Go for it. Maybe that uh, really we are already using a huge amount of C99 features. We are also using a number of C11 features, which is the standard that came after it. And really the only thing that's missing is that we officially say that, okay, we're using C99. Whereas nowadays the Microsoft compiler, I think it um, has everything that we care about. The only thing it doesn't implement are some um, some standard library features we don't really care about. I mean, I think it's something like complex numbers or or advanced um, floating point control or something like that. I mean, we don't use that anyway. Um, the other problem is more that um, our headers, so not the C files, but the headers, they also have to be compatible with C++. Um, so they can be included in by extensions that are written in C++. And C++ does not support all the features that C does or that C99 does. In particular, um, one of the big ones are, um, what is it called, flexible array members, which is something we love to use, but we can't because this is the stuff we have to use in headers and that wouldn't compile in the C++ compiler, at least in the conforming C++ compiler. But um, I think really the stage right now is we already support um, C19, we already use C99, we just haven't put the stamp, the official stamp on it. We should talk later because I, I'm not sure that's 100% right. I we mean, can talk. I'm pretty sure I did the pull request to like set the C99 flag in the CI configuration and it works on Linux, it works in Windows, but. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned things like flexible array containers, and that is something that HHVM uses in C11 just fine, or 14 now. Members? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that there is a proposal for C20. Maybe I'm getting things mixed up. Or I might be misunderstanding what you're referring to when you say flexible array members. So this is why you should take that offline. Okay. I think they just had to go to yoga, right? To become flexible. Just, That's right. Tim. Uh, just yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> this, <laughs> so I'm so sorry this has gone over so long. I would uh, I would love to give some shameless promo time for each of you to officially wrap this thing up. Nikita, do you have anything that you would like to shamelessly promote? Uh, well, I'm kind of looking for work right now. I mean, I recently finished university and have to find a job and I'm somewhat half-heartedly looking right now. <laughs> How do you feel so, about non uh, non-relational databases? I, if I've got to be honest, I'm really not a fan of the concept or at least how widely it has been adopted in cases which don't seem like a great fit. How, how do you feel about ignoring the database part of it and working on uh, other bits attached to it? We should talk about that. We should talk. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of people should be reaching out to you? What would be your ideal kind of job? Well, I'm a like compiler performance person. Um, I mean, I don't actually write a lot of PHP code nowadays. Actually, I should ask you, how do you feel about HHVM? And I know we tried to reach out to you before. We should talk more. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and of course, like if you're if you're doing Rust, Rust is great. I love Rust. Um, I didn't know that. We should chat sometime. I've been nerding out on Rust uh, a lot recently. And I, I was actually that's been I've been porting PHP features over to Rust. So I, I it'd be yeah, that's cool. I didn't know you went to Rust. That's awesome. What about you, Sarah? Do you have anything that you want to shamelessly promote? Well, just this week, I will be at a conference called PHP World, run by these 
guys right here, PHP Architect. Yay. And there's, I'm actually going to be presenting with some, I don't know, some joker who can't get his slides together. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you. I will be presenting with you on contributing to open source. Um, and apart from that, I will also be doing one on the uh, PHP Now and Tomorrow, I believe it's called, um, where we are and where we're going. So um, actually a lot of what we talked about in, in this uh, podcast. So um, maybe you can skip that one because you've heard most of it just now. Um <laughs> Oh, and uh, also this January, I will be uh, participating in Day Camp for Developers. Um, it's run by, um, oh my God, a, a completely Cal Yeah, Cal's thing, though. What's his thing called? It's called... Um, Day Camp for Developers? No, but he's got a name for his... Oh my God, he's going to hate me for getting this wrong. Um, Nomad PHP? Nomad, yes. Run by, run by the Nomad <laughs> folks. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, this is where... Uh, we're throwing out random words. <laughs> so uh, come check out Day Camp for Developers this January 20th, Beyond P Beyond Performance with me and uh, Matthew Affini and probably a bunch of other people. Matthew Weir Affini, not to be confused with other Matthew Affinis. MWAP. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got a couple of a uh, bunch of episodes coming up a ton of epi episodes coming up php fig 3.0 uh, all things drupal why dates and times are so hard for developers live accessibility audit all things magento so lots of fun things coming down the pipe if you have something that you want to share on the php roundtable hit me up i'm sammy k on twitter or ping php roundtable on twitter there's also a form on phproundtable.com where you can get your php roundtable elephants woohoo use promo code audio and you get five dollars off thank you so much sarah and nikita for joining us in this discussion and we'll see you folks in the next episode Peace.